Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Today's episode of the Faculty Factory is a best of show that includes highlights from past interviews on this podcast about navigating difficult conversations. Today's best of show features interviews with the following guests, Dr. Charles Charlie Irvin, Dr. Dave Usum, and Dr. Jennifer Haythorn-Waite. So the first tip that I got is from, um, you know, from the HR folks was suspend judgment and assume good intent. So, you know, you take somebody who you may know about or they have a rep and you just say, okay, as I go into this thing, you know, trying to learn more, I have to assume good intent and I've got to suspend judgment and I've got to take whatever my feelings about this person are and leave them at the door. And that's hard to do, but you have to try, try very hard to be objective and fair. The next one is one that I use a fair bit. So I, you know, I get somebody who's acting up and I'll sit them down. You know, this could be a cup of coffee kind of a conversation, uh, or it could be something more official. And you just say, you know, I'm curious why, you know, I've been hearing reports that you act in a certain way and I, and I'm just curious what, why, why is it? Cause uh, that doesn't seem to be how you are. I mean, you're a really good scholar, you're a great clinician and, and I'm just sort of curious and I, and I have to tell you, I'm very concerned for you. Mm. So you approach things with curiosity and concern rather than start yelling at the person or, you know, leaning into them. Just help me understand this. Help me understand why you feel you have to, you know, do the X, Y, and Z. So that that was, I think that's a nice approach to kind of start the conversation and and let the person know that you actually are, because, you know, we are concerned for our colleagues. Um, and they have virtues that we want to preserve and just want to get rid of the bad bits. I always get both sides of the story. I mean, I've run a big clinical lab. I've run a research lab. And that's a that's one that you learn a long time, and that's just get both sides of the story. You're only getting one side of the story. You really have to, and particularly when you get into the serious stuff. Of course, when you get into serious stuff, you really want to handle that, and that really gets into one of my other ones, and that is consult and inform HR and general counsel early require, regarding questionable situations. So you know, we all know. We've all had enough training as as faculty affairs people. We know when the situation is really bad. When we're talking about something that's illegal, like sexual harassment, we're talking about something serious like harassment. Uh, we're talking about, you know, any really, really inappropriate behavior that's really horrible. And it may affect uh, a person mentally or, you know, clinically, you know, the patient's. And that's that's usually fairly clear, at least in my mind. Typically, it is, and so at that point, I don't even I don't even worry about it. I just go right to HR, and I and I've developed close working relationship with HR here in the dean's office, which handles the college, and then a good, great working relationship with the HR person over at uh, at uh, the hospital. The concept with difficult conversations in this Harvard negotiation project is that whenever you're in a difficult 
conversation about a conflict that you're having with somebody, there's really three levels of conversation. There's kind of the fact level, uh, which is what they call the, the what happened mm-hmm. um, level, which is just getting the facts right so that you're on a level playing field as far as what exactly happened between you and this person that you're in conflict with. And I'll talk about that a little bit um, more in just a moment. The second level is the emotions, and that is, you know, we all have little triggers of things that we get, you know, sort of hot under the collar about. And then once we get emotional, sometimes, um, you know, our logic will sometimes fly away or we may say things that are right. we don't really feel deeply or, or, yeah. or mistakenly say. Activate and the lizard the brain. Level, <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. The hippocampal you know, ambush where you, you, you're just you know, spouting out stuff that you may or may not mean and you certainly may regret saying. Right. Um, but at the same time, we have to recognize that when you're in conflict or when you're having a difficult conversation, you're going to have an emotional response to what people say. And the third part, which I found the most fascinating part, is there is the, the identity level. And this gets to that part of it that we get so defensive about because mm-hmm. in this difficult conversation or this conflict that you're having with someone, it may get to the point where you start doubting yourself. And when you start doubting yourself, you know, I don't, I don't remember all of my, actually, you, you have more psychology background than I do. You know, you get very protective of the, is it yeah. the id? Yeah. Um, and and you're, you go into a highly defensive mode. And so when that conversation starts dipping into a, a point where you start feeling like someone's suggesting that you're not a good person or you're not smart or you failed at something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or, you know, you're not competent. Mm -hmm. Well, it elicits even a stronger reaction and, and often, you know, you, you stop listening, you just get really, really defensive. And so in the description of these different levels, um, the Harvard Negotiation uh, Project group uh, talks about how to make it more effective at each of these levels in dealing with the facts and dealing with the emotions and in dealing with the identity issues. And I really, I really think it's a good read. Yeah. Uh, so tell, uh, go through this because I'm always um, in, intrigued by the, that first element of what happened and talking about facts. And I'm putting my little fingers up going air quotes around facts because there's your facts and there's my facts and then there's the facts in between. So walk us through this. Yeah. And unfortunately I think that this concept and the book is even more relevant in our day and age where we talk about alternative facts or we talk about what is the actual reality. Um, unfortunately, and, and this is a, an issue that the media is, is debating, etc. So, I mean, I think there's a difference between maybe, two points of view or two observations of what happened versus that part that is actually what happened. What the difficult conversation theory is, is that you have to get to a point where the two people are describing what happened from a third person. You know, we can agree about that this happened, this happened, this happened. Now, you may interpret it differently than I, but can we, as a third-person narrator, describe what exactly transpired in this 
problem that you and I are having in this in this conflict. Mm-hmm. And part of that conflict, and, and one of the, again, you know, I have these certain takeaways from the book. One of the takeaways from the the book that I thought was really important was the difference between intent and impact. Right. So we sometimes say, oh, you know, Kim hung up the phone on me, and I will in, impute an, 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 sure, an, an yeah. intent on behalf that, oh, she was angry at me for what I last said, and that was her, in, you know, and that's why she did it. I only saw that you hung up the phone on me, but I started thinking about, you know, what was your intent, and I, that becomes sort of my fact, but it's not real, right? right. It's my interpretation of it. And I would and then, say uh, that was not my intention at all. I did not intend to insult you. I did not intend to hurt your feelings. And then it's a recognition of the other, but that was the impact. So your intentions uh, have to be taken in light of the impact on the other person. And that's that's what you right. and I well, learned in that in our mediation training, that a part of that exploration of what happened is, Describe your experience. What did you experience? How did you experience that situation, that event? How did you experience it? And you and I learned that you asking about the experience is important because no one can ever negate or refute your experience. I want everybody to just keep in mind, every time you say yes, you're saying no to something that you're already committed to. And every mm-hmm. time you say no, you're saying yes to something you're already committed to. Yeah. And so that it just provides a little bit of a balance that it's not just saying no to some new opportunity that comes along because you've already got a full plate, most of us do. And when you say yes to something that comes along, mm-hmm. you're actually then saying, no, I'm not going to fulfill a commitment I've already made, mm-hmm. either to myself personally, I'm going to cut back on exercise, I'm going to mm-hmm. see less of my family, or professionally, I'm not going to meet a deadline, or I'm not going to get something else done. Yeah. But what about that you know, situation where as new faculty members, especially, you want to you're afraid of turning down potential opportunities, and you certainly don't want to be the person who always says no. So how do I, you know, how do I as a faculty member ascertain which are things I say yes to and which are things I say no to? Well, and so that's the next point I wanted to talk about was how do you prioritize? How do you kind of in your own sense know which are the things that you really should be saving your time for and saying yes to? And which are the things that you should really think long and hard about and even say no to if they're not right? And so... One of the things that we talk about with the faculty about uh, as a way of trying to understand their own priorities is even thinking about sitting down for some period of time, maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and thinking about what your mission statement would look like. Mm. And and there are worksheets on the web that you can find that will help you kind of just think about what is your work about? What is the priority for how you want to have your career unfold. And it doesn't have to be for the rest of your life. It can be for the next couple of years. What what are the things that are important to you? Mm-hmm. And in most mission statements, there's also a, 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 a kind of a focus on what are your values. Mm-hmm. And values are very important in, in how we think about what's important to us with our, mm-hmm. with our work and our mission. Well, the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument is something that I believe it was developed in 1977 by Thomas and Kilman, and it consists of basically a 30-question, two-option answer 
survey that allows your style in conflict to be sort of graded, if you will, on two domains. One is your level of cooperativeness, and the other is your level of assertiveness. So if you can imagine sort of a chart with assertiveness on one side going from low to high and cooperativeness on the x-axis, if you will, going from low to high. Um, based on those, this 30-question simple survey, Kim, you can separate people into five different conflict styles. The style that is the highest in assertiveness but the least in cooperativeness is the competitor, the, the competitor style, being competitive. The style which is the least assertive as well as the least cooperative is the avoidant style. The style which has the highest level of cooperation as well as high assertiveness is the collaboration style. And the style which is low in uh, assertiveness but high in cooperation is the accommodating style. And then there's this fifth style, which is sort of centered in the middle, which has intermediate assertiveness and cooperativeness, and that's called compromising style. So based on this 30-question uh, test, you get scored for how uh, competitive you are, how uh, collaborative you are, how accommodative you are, how avoidant you are, and, um, you know, and how much you compromise. And it's really quite fascinating because it, it really, I think, gives a really nice uh, sort of self-assessment on what type of reaction you have to conflict. I, re I remember studying it when you and I did that um, mediation training, and, and I love the... I the way I think about it are the animals that are associated with each of those styles. So the avoider is the turtle. The, 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 the competition and competitor is the shark. The accommodator is the teddy bear. And I think the, the owl was the collaborator. And I can't remember the animal for the compromise. As you talk, I might remember it, or I'll try to dig around on my emails here to find it. That's actually, that's actually quite good. That's, that's quite good because it does give you a little bit of a vivid graphic for the different styles. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, people quite often ask, well, what, what style should I be? What do I aspire to? And this is sort of, you know, almost like the Myers-Briggs where we say, you know, you, you shouldn't try to be an introvert or extrovert or a thinker or a feeler. It is what you are, but you should be able to move in different settings to different Myers-Briggs style and or to different Thomas Kilman conflict mode styles. So, for example, um, in those issues that are really highly important to you, let's, let's use the term mission-centric or value-centric, you're more likely to fight hard for them and therefore be more assertive. Now, um, you may be cooperating and assertive, in which case you're in the collaborative group, or you may be just you know, very strong and not listening to other people and, and not cooperating, in which case you're in the competitive group. But that, that's, those are the things that are really important to you. 
sometimes there are conflicts. Uh, I gave a, and the example of, you know, I, I don't want to have to go out to Chinese food again, you know, tonight with my wife because, you know, we went there three nights ago and she says, no, I, I really have a, a, a yen for Chinese food. Again for Japanese food, I guess. Again for Chinese food. Um, so then I might go into my accommodative mode. I mean, I, it's not in really that important to me. I'm really into cooperation with my wife. You know, it's, it's an important relationship. So you might choose to be more on the accommodative side. Uh, quite often in business uh, dealings, um, in the end, a lot of the decision-making gets done by simply compromising. So, you know, you make a bid on a, um, you know, at the, at the shopping, um, bazaar, um, you know, for buying it for a dollar, the, the shopkeeper says, no, you know, this is my best work and I want $3 for it. And you come to a compromise, let's just split the difference and we'll go to $2 and people may be happy with that. So depending upon the different circumstances, how, you know, how important the issue is for you, you may go from one style to the other. I think the value of the Thomas Tillman is that you can see what the other person is, uh, their favored style is, and you can also assess, you know, your favorite style and, and how to be more effective in that style. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.